FX Medicine Live will be at Tammy Guest's Natrapreneur Experience from the 16th to the 17th of February 2019. For more information and to book your tickets, please go to tammyguest.com. This is FX Medicine. I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. Joining us on the line today is Robbie Clark. Robbie's a Sydney-based dietitian and sports nutritionist who graduated with a Bachelor of Exercise Science and Nutrition from Southern Cross University and a Master's in Nutrition and Dietetics from the University of Canberra. He currently works as a practitioner in private practice in an integrative health clinic in Sydney's Northern Beaches, but has a widespread client base throughout Sydney. Robbie is the co-founder, director and dietitian at thehealthclinic.com.au, an integrative online health clinic which provides nutritional prevention, treatment and consultations for clients. Welcome to FX Medicine, Robbie. How are you? Thanks for having me, Andrew. I'm very well, thanks. Now, Robbie, we touched on a very topical point at the Bioceuticals Symposium in 2018, and that was electronic medical records and how do you protect the information of those? Yes. But, I, but I think firstly, I'm, I'd like to get a little bit about your history. Can we go back and delve into your history and how you first began to think of security and protection of information? Sure. So I'm a functional dietitian who's currently still working in private practice. And I think as practitioners, we are always, whether it be consciously or subconsciously, thinking about uh, the sensitive data that we handle on a daily basis. Um, however, when you work in a clinic as a sole trader, you tend to become more complacent because the onus is more on the clinic to protect all the data of all the patients who are coming through that door. So therefore, you don't really think about the database and how it's being protected. So I've worked in private practice over eight years, and most of those years were in a multidisciplinary uh, medical and health and wellbeing clinic. Um, but prior to that, I had done some placements in hospitals where protection of medical data is absolutely Huge. drilled into you. Yes, and it's the first thing they, you know, basically before they put you on um, probation, they're telling you all about the importance of securing the data within the hospital facility. So I was quite shocked and surprised when I started working in a clinic and how relaxed they were about the patient data. Um, there were no guidelines given to me um, by the practice manager. Manager. And wow. because we weren't paperless back in those early years, any practitioner could have taken those patient notes home. So I guess that's when you could say that uh, when I started thinking about security and the protection of patient information. That's a massive sort of issue, isn't it? Like I can still remember even getting into trouble for actually protecting patient information because uh, a certain health practitioner wanted an update on that patient's status and I wouldn't, mm. give, I wouldn't give it to him. Um, referring him to the uh, the night supervisor, um, and I got I got dragged over the coals for it. Right. Um, so, but it's it's very interesting that you're you're absolutely right. Like patient information in a hospital setting is so much more protected to the point where nowadays even patient records are very often not kept at the end of the bed like they used to be at the in the olden days. 
Mm, absolutely. Mm. And I guess the addition to that is also that everything nowadays is going electronic, yeah. um, which is thought to make things easier for business, which it is, mm. um, hence why more and more clinics are going paperless. Um, however, a big subject that has caught the eye of the health and the medical world is the creation, storage and transmission of electronic medical records. Um, and, you know, I guess for your listeners out there who might be a bit unsure as to what that definition actually means, um, it's an electronic version of a patient's medical history that is maintained by the provider or practitioner over time. Um, and it may include things of um, like uh, administrative clinical data that is relevant to the person's care uh, under a particular practitioner. And these might be things such as demographics, uh, contact information, medical notes, medications, past medical history, uh, pathology data and radiology reports. The list goes on. Has there been any demonstrated instances of data stealing or infil infiltration in the health sector? Like I've heard of, and we were all very aware um, in this is in 2018 of the, the Facebook saga just recently happening. Um, yes. But what about the health sector or indeed what about in particular the integrative health sector? Yeah, well, this is very interesting because I don't know if you recall reading, but it was quite heavily in the media um, that earlier this year there was a flaw in Telstra's medical software, um, which is called Argus. And it's used by more than 40,000 providers, including hospitals, GPs, specialists, and also uh, primary health networks and allied health providers. Mm. Um, basically, it was a flaw in the electronic messaging services software, which could have left Australians' health information very vulnerable to cyber attack. Yeah, so essentially what Argus did is that they created a separate username and a static default password for computers which were installed with remote desktop access. Um, and this is essentially what allowed hackers to penetrate the system. And they did. They had access to computers um, but had not only stolen medical records, they instead used the system to carry out other illegal activities. So luckily, oh, no information goodness. was given, but uh, it could have been quite easily. Okay, but why steal somebody's medical data? Surely financial data is going to be more worthwhile to a hacker. Yeah, well, if you think nowadays more about identity theft, it's a huge thing, and ah. it's the hardest thing to prove legally. Right. So um, this is why nowadays uh, medical data is actually the number one sought-after information online or over the internet um, over financial data. So let's go back to what happened and what changed with you. Uh, what lessons did you learn that you can educate our listeners about? Yeah, so essentially I... Um, being in private practice or I was seeing clients one-on-one. -on -one. I also had a lot of clients who moved uh, in um, regionally and therefore I wanted to still consult with them. So just like any other practitioner out there, I started using Skype um, as the best means of uh, being able to reach out to them. However, what I learned in my process and my journey is that Skype was absolutely not a secure way of consulting or transmitting medical information. Um, and the reason for that is that many platforms are proprietary, meaning that healthcare providers have no way to determine if and, where, and what information is stored. Uh, users can't reliably develop and verify an audit trail, which is very important for practitioners, as you would know, um, if they get pulled up. 
Um, and also there is no reliable way to verify the transmission of security and there's no way to know when a breach or information occurs, or a breach of information. Yeah. So it's frightening. So it's not just protection of patient information. It really is protecting your own butt from a legal standpoint. <laughs> 100%. Like, like this is huge. Because yeah. you've got you've got no recourse of action. So what would happen? Let's say let's say somebody was using, and we, we've we've set the example. And it's very common um, as an online platform. We, we've used the example of Skype. Let's say somebody did use Skype. Yes. What would happen, or what might happen, and what would be the recourse of action if somebody was audited? What would you do? Well, that's exactly right. Unless they're, because uh, you know, in the text box in Skype, and you can attach documents. So if you're having a consult and your patient or client says to you, "Oh yes, I've just had some pathology done," I'll send it to you straight away. And so rather than going via email, you have then um, sent it via um, a Skype attachment. Now, if the patient is um, gives consent, that's okay, but if the practitioner is not either saving that data or uploading it somewhere else, then there's absolutely no way that they can have a trail of that, um, that that has been transmitted because Skype does not allow for that. Even though it, it keeps uh, your conversation, there is no legal standing for that conversation right. to be held in wow. court. And, of course, we're not singling out Skype. So there's Skype, Zoom, GoToMeeting, there's heaps there's heaps there's of these heaps. online platforms. Because they're a proprietary product, the information mm. that you put onto them is theirs, not yours. That's exactly right. Right. So <laughs> what was your first reaction when you first learnt this? Well, um, that's, yeah, I, I was quite... I could sad. imagine blood draining from face, <laughs> white yeah. pallid, shaky. <laughs> I, and it's the same reaction I get with all other practitioners I talk to who say, yeah, I'm, I'm online. My first question is, well, how are you consulting online? And it is usually Skype. So my reaction is, was exactly the same as how most would, hearing that information for the first time. So I was quite um, scared because I knew that if I was audited by my governing body, um, then I would, I would not be covered. But also, the amount of insurance that you require. So practitioners are really well um, hearsed in what uh, protection they require in a physical sense, so um, a professional indemnity and public liability, but they don't even think about cyber liability if they take their practice online. So you have to basically search this as a separate item to insure yourself by. It's not Absolutely. automatically covered. Oh, my nope. goodness. Yeah, that's exactly right. So if you do get hacked, yeah. um, and there are hackers out there, yeah, you've uh, left they yourself can wide hold open. That's exactly right. And they can hold your data to ransom and they might ask for a certain sum for that data to be returned um, and you may not be covered or you may not have the money to be able to get that back. So is this what happened with Argus, that they had the the ransomware? Was that what happened? Yes, All that's right. exactly right. Gotcha. Mm. I remember this. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, mm -hmm. okay, so what was your reaction? Like, what did you do? What What steps did you take to remedy this? Yeah, well, I guess the first step I took, particularly when developing my new platform, I really wanted to know, okay, well, what is it that I have to do in order to make my patient 
um, data most secure, but also because it's a platform that we can uh, um, license to practitioners, it's then a matter of how do we make that data secure as well. So my first steps were literally a lot of meetings with uh, web developers, uh, cyber security experts, and also insurance companies. So it, it's a lot if you think about it. It's yeah. not just, okay, what program is best to use uh, for me to be most secure? It's like, okay, how is it that I'm covered and what is the most secure and encrypted programs I can be using and how do we implement this? So you've really gone to the nth degree to protect, like to ensure that you've got a, a protected product, a, 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 you know, a, a, dare I say the word, watertight product. Mm. Like you, you, you involve security experts and did they advise you had to, no, 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 you know, hackers commonly use this pathway, so don't use that. You know, the, back, the, the old adage is the back door, you know, that sort yeah. of thing. Well, if you think about it, like because we're online and if even in the medical sense, it is almost a form if the information is, is hacked or, or breached, it is almost a form of malpractice. Yeah. So then you have to think about um, secure, um, sorry, policies in place for malpractice um, insurance as well. Um, so, oh again, I had no idea of these type of definitions yeah. but, um, and how they would be linked to an online product, but uh, there it is. So I, I would imagine, I mean, obviously the first time you bring out a product, nothing's perfect. You always evolve something. So you must have had some some bugs, some missteps and, and certainly a steep learning curve. Mm. I mean, that must have been so costly. It was. <laughs> it still is. Um, I guess what I tell people and, and, you know, as practitioners, we're very, very good at treating people and formulating treatment protocols, and we're all very well-researched. However, when it comes to business, some of us might fail a little bit. So as long as you've got things in place at the beginning of your journey to the online world, it's really going to save you a lot of pain and discomfort down the path. So things like budgeting, financial planning is an absolute must um, for anyone thinking about starting a business or even just going online. Um, and that also includes a business plan. And that will really help you put the, the pavement down for for the way that you want to travel. Yeah, but I, I just think it's a really often overlooked, in fact, I would say ubiquitously overlooked issue when we're talking about protecting patient information, the, the medical records. Mm. Um, if somebody gets cyber hacked, and if they haven't got adequate protection in place, then they may be opening themselves up to not just litigation from the patient for stealing their information, but indeed from law and also from their regulatory bodies for not protecting that information in an appropriate way. So you can Correct. be really be attacked on three sides. Correct. And, you know, if you think about it, Australia compared to, say, the U.S., is still quite far behind of the telemedicine or telehealth platform. So a lot of the governing bodies, uh, regulatory bodies, might be a bit more archaic in their, you know, the way that they want their practitioners to practice. Mm. So you can imagine the lashback we've got from different people uh, being a disruptor, if you will, in the industry. Um, <laughs> but it, it's funny. People God. go online because... It expands their clientele, it expands their business, and they're able to 
get a bigger income. Yeah. However, they're not telling their regulatory body because uh, they're frightened of, of prosecution. Yeah. So, yeah, they are just doing it uh, discreetly, but probably not the safest way. Yeah, it's a really interesting thing about, you know, our modern day modern day convenient lifestyle where we're we're trying to access practitioners that have the best capability for us and they may not be uh, centrally located or, or conveniently located um, geographically to us. Mm-hmm. So particularly in the medical world, there are a lot of restrictions around online business and things like that. But the fact of the matter is that we are moving towards the future. We've even got robots that operate you know, remotely. So it's, you know, it's kind of like, you don't, don't tell me that this sort of thing isn't going to come and, and that we can't change towards it. The fact of the matter is we have to, it's just when. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if you've seen just recently, there was um, information put out about Google administrator. It is literally a um, administration software that can book appointments for you, whether it be online or calling up a a place of business to book an appointment. Um, So all you need to tell Google is the date, the time, uh, the the actual service that you require, and it will do it all on your behalf. So yes, things are changing in the IT world. Okay. So what about security of those sorts of, you know, high-end platforms? You know, whenever... um, I'm specifically talking about or two practitioners about um, the security of details. There, there are three major components that one should be looking at, um, and that is technical safeguards, physical safeguards, and also administrative safeguards. So they're essentially the three pillars of safety of what I kind of present on when I am talking about this topic. Um, so technical safeguards are basically techniques to prevent um, or even limit access to an electronic resource. Um, and then you've got identity. Um, so the physical safeguards are more about techniques that prevent or limit physical access to resources and data. So, for example, people listening in on a conversation uh, that you might be having in a consultation room, people peering over your shoulder looking at your computer screen and looking at patient data, for example. Um, And then the administrative safeguards are more about... um, a combination of both technical and also physical, but for example, in a clinic, um, you might be looking at certain policies or procedures and practices that are implemented within that clinic to secure um, that data of patients. It's really interesting you say physical because we don't often think of this. Um, no. But, you know, as you say, people looking over your shoulder, so seemingly well meaning. But, um, I mean, I can still remember as a nurse, um, colleagues getting a a dressing down basically for uh, mentioning private information at a cafeteria um, Mm. in their break. And what they didn't realise is that this was a very small country town and everybody knew everybody. So even to the point of not mentioning, uh, you know, patient stories on your break within the establishment, even Mm. there, it was hey, guys, we really need to hush this down. It was really interesting. Well, that breaches confidentiality, doesn't it? That's exactly right. That's a part of our core of practitioners, what we have to abide by, and almost like take an oath about confidentially um, keeping information stored to ourselves unless there is patient consent. 
So, as you say, it goes back to workstation security, which we don't think of very often. So, um, the other point I was thinking of is uh, soundproofing. So, let's say, let's say there's a multidisciplinary clinic and you've got, yeah. it, you know, one, two, three massages, maybe a naturopathic consultation, a medical consultation going on. If you can hear that information uh, transmitting between the walls, that mm. might um, transgress this patient confidentiality. Correct. And interestingly there, if you can, say, either record or have a um, transcript of a meeting that takes place between the practitioner and the practice management um, discussing your concerns around that, then the pressure is taken off you quite heavily. Wow. Because you've addressed that with management yep. and said, I think the walls are a bit thin yep. or I'm thinking people can hear me. And if there are any breaches, well, then at least you've got that to go back on. Well, look, I've even done it, you know, where it's, I mean, I've, I've even seen totally inappropriate practice, but um, even to the point of where there are cubicles and uh, you can overhear the conversation in the next cubicle. So let's mm. talk about hospital ED departments. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, yeah. emergency departments. So, you know, casualty. Um, there's an issue that might raise mm. raise its head. I think in those situations there are, um, uh, there are limitations, but then there are also allowances in the fact that because it is a very high energetic um, area that you're just working on the go frequently, mm. um, there are abilities for you to be able to talk openly, particularly because gotcha. you usually have so many specialists, intensivists and, um, you know, doctors in the same room at the same time. Yeah. So. so where can practitioners find out more about cybersecurity, um, how to appropriate look, appropriately look after medical records electronically? Yeah, well, look, I think I might to, I'll be happily to give some pointers as to probably the questions that they should be asking themselves in order to make sure that they've got the most secure practice as possible going online. Um, so firstly, I tell my practitioners to say, well, look at what your insurance policy covers. Does it cover the cyber liability insurance? Um, and then I'd also make sure that they're installing and enabling encryption software on all devices that you use to consult. So whether it be desktop, tablet, smartphone, or even Android. Um, use multiple passwords. This is the biggest thing. Um, or any other type of user authentication process. Um, I use a program which is a password generator yep. program. Yep. It's called One Password, and that's with a number one. And essentially, you can generate really long, difficult passwords for hackers to, to get into. Um, and it basically stores all your passwords to the different sites that you might have account, an account with. So that has absolutely been a saviour uh, because I have at least about 150 different passwords on that oh my goodness. Um, alone. Okay. Yeah. So I, I've got to ask a question about this because I've been reticent to do this. Mm. A, a mate of mine told me about it and I've been like, well, hang on. You've got this multiple password generator, but you've got one account to log into that multiple password generator. Yes. So have you got one access point to a multitude of passwords by doing that? That is correct. Right. Yes. So it's so, still a bottleneck. It's still this 
It is. Well, if you forget that password, that You're can done. be quite challenging. <laughs> <laughs> Choose from 150. <laughs> yes, but that's a common occurrence and an everyday occurrence yeah. with a lot of people that I speak to anyway. So, so that would be a, what, it, would it be a two-step recovery process then to thwart exactly cybersecurity? Right. Yeah, not a one-step. Yeah. And yeah. listeners, by what I mean here is they'd have an email and a mobile number so that it's mm-hmm. it's vastly less likely that they've stolen two things more than one. Exactly right. Yeah. Um, and, and look, I, I would also probably encourage uh, to install and enable security software to, um, to protect them against malicious applications, viruses, spyware and malware um, that we were basically talking about earlier. Uh, updating security uh, software is very important on computer. People let it lapse or people don't update it. Um, so they need to be aware of that as well. Um, and also... Absolutely. Maintain physical control of all your devices. So whether it be your laptops, if that's what you use, your mobile devices, because if you have any information stored on that um, and you're sharing it publicly, then obviously it can be accessed at any time. So that can be quite dangerous. Um, so, in answering your last question, basically, if people want to know more, they can certainly uh, go on to my website to see what type of platform that I am uh, I have produced for practitioners, and that's www.healthbank.io. And um, currently, we're taking expressions of interest from practitioners who either want to expand their practice online. Um, as I said, we're in the beta testing phase at the moment. So if they're interested about the product, they can certainly provide their email address. I have to ask, IO? <laughs> yes. <laughs> what? So <laughs> You're not based there. You're not based. I'm not calling you that long distance. <laughs> it's basically going down the path of, you know, Internet of Things or the IoT world. Right. Um, and being a online business, uh, I guess we're trying to capture that whole innovative market um, because it really is the way of the future. So that's why we've, we've definitely gone with the IO. And not to mention .com was taken. <laughs> uh, oh, right. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> Robbie, thank you so much. This is very interesting stuff. I mean, thought-provoking, none the least, worrisome, really more practically, um, mm. that we really don't even, we're not even aware that yeah. this is an issue, let alone worrying about it. So thanks for enlightening us. I'll, <laughs> cheapers, I'll certainly be taking extra steps um, with th- that data or those data that, um, that comes my way. And um, I mean, yeah. I'm not storing electronically yet, but um, I just think it's a really pertinent issue with the future as we move online with more and more things yeah thank you so much and it's unstoppable too really it's going to head that way it is Mm. it is there's there is no question that we're heading that way so this is really ahead of the game thank you so much for joining us on fx medicine thanks for having me this is fx medicine i'm andrew whitfield cook if you enjoyed today's podcast you can find more industry insights podcasts and resources under the Community tab on the FX Medicine website. What if you could hang out in an epic location with an awesome, like-minded practitioner tribe, having extraordinary experiences with a community of leaders, innovators and visionaries all sharing their wisdom to move our profession forward? It all starts with the Naturepreneur Experience, a professional development conference like no other for naturopaths, nutritionists, herbalists and practitioners. Check out NatX2019 at tamiguest.com for more details.